welcome to the Defenseless Moments Podcast. I'm Hunter Visser, and today Larry Wilson and I are going to be talking about chapter number three of his new book, Defenseless Moments, A Different Perspective on Serious Injuries. Chapter three is titled The Third Dimension of Risk Assessment, and today we're going to be unpacking the story about how Larry discovered this. If you haven't had a chance to read the book, remember it is available on Amazon, and it's also available in article format on the Paradigm Shift landing page and in over 13 safety magazines around the world. So if you haven't had a chance, take a moment and read the chapter, check out the article online. If you'd like, you can click the link in the episode notes to access the book on Amazon or read the articles on the Paradigm Shift landing page. So, Larry, this chapter is titled The Third Dimension of Risk Assessment. And you've mentioned before that this paradigm shift in the last one, the three sources of unexpected, they really helped you survive at the beginning. Can you explain why these sort of helped with your survival as you started becoming a BBS consultant and working towards Safe Start? Sure. Um, the, the, well, the three sources was a real, real eye-opener, um, certainly helped get the door open. But getting people to think about the most dangerous things that they had ever done and then getting them to think about their worst injuries. Between the two of those things that really got people, I mean, certainly got them over the hump, which is, you know, the the word of the day back then was that there's nothing new in safety, which means that I don't really need to pay attention. So, you know, just having the three sources of unexpected and then getting the people to think about the most dangerous things that they'd ever done and then getting them to think about their worst injuries and then saying, so did your worst injuries come from the most dangerous things that you've ever done? And you could just sort of see people just shaking their heads going, no, they didn't. So, so Larry, can you take us back to when and where this all started? I mean, it must have been, again, on one of your jobs up north in the well, middle no, of nowhere. In the middle <laughs> of nowhere. No, um, this, actually, uh, this actually started very, very shortly after I got the job as a BBS consultant. I'd, I'd gotten a job out west uh, on the west coast, a big pulp and paper complex. I think it was like second biggest in North America at the time. I was out there doing the, the usual, you know, overview sessions for the observation process. This was not a particularly cheery place that I went to. So, again, the the fight over unsafe conditions versus behavior, and you know, the company's too cheap to fix up the old equipment, and the company, you know, now getting me to come in and say it's all about your behavior or 96% of it is all about your behavior. It was always, it was always a difficult, difficult sort of thing, right? And um, so anyhow, a couple of tough days out there and then I got a four and a half hour plane ride back to Toronto and then Belleville where the, the company was located at the time was another sort of two hour drive east on the 401. And I don't ever sleep well, and still don't sleep well in planes, but back then, not at all. Like I said, tough days, didn't sleep on the plane, and on the way back in the car, 
I am fight, doing everything I can to fight the fatigue. I can remember, you know, I got the window down. I got the radio up and down. I'm singing with the radio. I remember sticking my head out the window, hoping that the cool breeze might kind of wake me up. And about an hour into the trip, the halfway point, I had actually even resorted to smacking myself in the face really hard a couple of times. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that one. But another 40 minutes into it, I see the sign that says Belleville 32 kilometers or about 23 miles. And I remember going, oh good, I'm home. And I don't kind of let whatever last bit of my guard down there. The next thing I know, I am off the road. It's a four-lane highway with a grass median in the middle. I had gone off now the left, the left-hand side of my lane, so the the two left-hand wheels are now on the gravel. It is a steep bank, and I am starting to go down the bank. Now, I woke up on the gravel, and I don't know if you've ever woken up at 60 miles an hour. But like you wake up really quickly and it is exactly like they say, the whole world going into slow motion. I know that if I try to jerk the steering wheel too hard, I might pin that front wheel in the gravel and do an endo rollover flip. I definitely don't want to do that. I know that if I just keep riding the side, I'm likely going to end up doing a barrel roll because the bank is getting steeper. So kind of from skiing, I turned into the hill went down to the bottom of the grass median and cranked the wheel again, thought I was just gonna coast to a stop in the middle of the grass median. And I remember thinking it was a good plan and then I remember seeing the bulrushes and I had this sort of split second thought about the bulrushes, no good. And then smash, we hit the concrete culvert that the bulrushes were around, the drain underneath the highway. I'd stopped the car instantly, and even with the seatbelt on, I smashed my face off the steering wheel, knocked myself out. I mean, I woke up, the ambulance was there. Um, I ended up getting five stitches on my uh, my upper lip, mild concussion, um, totaled the Malibu. And this part isn't that flattering, but that may have been the only time that year that I was actually doing the speed limit. I've heard you say before, at this point in your life, you started driving the speed limit because you couldn't afford any more speeding tickets. Well, no, the, what, well, what happened was that I, when I was living in California in Hollywood, I had a Volkswagen van that wouldn't exceed the speed limit unless you were going down a really big hill or you had a tailwind. So I got this car and inherited from our vice president. Um, it was a, a taxi that they had made a special number of for Iraq. It was a Malibu Classic, four on the floor. I think it had a 357 engine in it. This thing would chirp going into fourth gear. So yes, I had picked up a number of significant speeding tickets in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, I've been told, you know, one more speeding ticket and you'll lose your license for 90 days. But um, that night, yeah, I think that night I was actually doing the speed limit. When I started talking to people about things like, you know, driving fast and then, you know, falling asleep at the wheel, that would be one of those, one of those sort of things where, you know, almost everybody had a story for you. Yeah. So I, I like, I remember when you first asked me this question about, um, worst injuries causing or most dangerous things causing the worst injuries. 
And I've done some pretty dangerous stuff. Most people probably haven't heard this before, but I was a professional skier um, competing at the national level, doing lots of flips and tricks up in the air, doing half pipe skiing. And it really struck me as interesting. Well, World Cup level you were. Yeah, World Cup level. And just really interesting is when I first heard this, I'd had a lot of injuries, but none of them were actually coming from doing big double flips in the air. So, um, I know, but you'd say people would say, "How did you break your thumb?" And you'd say, "Skiing." Yeah, I slipped and they would just the assume line. that because of all the great big tricks that you did, that this was, this was you did it. You, you did it when you were doing one of those dangerous things, and then you've got to actually tell them, "No, actually, I slipped in the parking lot and broke my thumb." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I mean, when I first heard this, really before I heard it, I was kind of embarrassed about how I'd been hurt so many times. I was doing this cool guy stuff on the skis, and then I get hurt slipping and falling in the parking lot. But um, what did you do with this when you when you figured out that this is the same for almost everybody? Well, it's it's interesting what you said too about the about the being embarrassed because when you ask people about you know the most dangerous things that they've ever done, and then you'd ask them about their worst injuries. Not, you know, not all the time, but the most common thing you would hear about their worst injuries would be almost exactly like you say, sort of an embarrassment. Oh, it was stupid. Like, um, you know, I was just talking to my cousin on the porch, took a half step backwards, fell down, shattered my elbow, you know, and almost like, you know, I, I got hurt not doing something dangerous. So it's stupid it doesn't quite add up I and mean, they didn't mean that they were stupid or that they thought their intelligence suddenly dropped that you know that minute or that hour of that day mm-hmm. but more like it's stupid that this doesn't add up that i got hurt so badly doing something that was so innocuous in other words i wasn't doing anything dangerous i was just talking to my cousin on the porch took a half step back without looking didn't realize the step wasn't there and you know fell all the way fell all the way down the porch right you know i wasn't driving fast i just fell asleep at the wheel mm-hmm. now when i started talking to people about the most dangerous things that they had ever done and you got to remember when i got into this business people were talking about the workplace and workplace injuries like this was by far the most dangerous place in the world and if you were ever going to be scared this is where you'd want to be scared right you know you know almost as if it was some sort of like d-day battle zone or whatever (laughs) and you know okay it was sawmills was oil rigs i mean you know there were you know there was definitely some rough and tumble places that i was at no question about it but when you get out and start talking to people like you know coffee breaks smoke breaks in terms of what's the most dangerous i can again was in Fort St. James. I remember being out at a smoke break and this guy said to me, well, probably going down the ski hill at 150 miles an hour. And I said, you went down the ski hill at 150 miles an hour? I mean, the, I know the ski hill in Fort St. James. I mean, I know there's one there. It's not a big, you know, it's not a world-class one. So I, I'm trying to figure out how could you even get going 150 <laughs> miles an hour? It's not like some sort of World Cup downhill or whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, going 150 miles an hour on skis 
is is speed skiing it's not like downhill or anything else like that's full on in the speed suit with the special helmet and even then you've got to have perfect wind conditions and weather and everything else because otherwise you'll hit terminal velocity before you he's just not on skis on a snowmobile at night because they won't let us on the hill during the daytime wow. i said so you're going 100 like you what kind of I mean, I know you're out running your headlights at 150 miles an hour. He goes, yeah, it's quite a rush. I'm thinking, well, you know, no wonder, no wonder you're not exactly afraid of the, you know, the tail saw in the mill or whatever, or the fork <laughs> truck. I mean, yeah. so, and obviously you'd also hear lots of stories where copious quantities of alcohol were involved too, in terms of, you know, most dangerous things that people had done. So you would hear lots of dangerous things rarely were any of them at the workplace at all interesting and then you'd say so you know now tell me about your worst injuries and like more than more most common answer i'm not saying it was all the time but the most common thing would be oh i was stupid kind of like what you were saying which is you know it didn't come from something that was dangerous it should have i mean but it didn't right doesn't all add up and so it, it became obvious to me that what was happening was that we all concluded that everybody else had injuries that kind of made sense when they were, you know, exotic injuries, if you will, and we'd all just had these stupid brain fart things. And that's when I started to realize that when you don't have your eyes on task and your mind on task at, at that exact instant, we're defenseless. I mean, we don't, you know, it's not like somebody, you know, you're driving along with somebody, you look over at them and they've got their eyes closed and you're like, what are you doing? And they say, don't worry, I can smell it. Bridge up ahead. Maybe your dog can smell the bridge up ahead, but I certainly don't think you can. So, I mean, as, as humans, as a, you know, a species or as an animal, I mean, we're not really well equipped in terms of smell and, you know, sight, hearing, you know, compared to a lot of animals, things like that. But we do have reflexes. But when your eyes and your mind aren't on task, at that instant, you don't get the benefit of your reflexes. Now, the next question, how many times have your reflexes saved your bacon? I mean, how many times have you had to hit the brake, or somebody else's, you had to hit the brake really quickly because somebody just walked out in front of you on the street. You didn't even have time to honk the horn or jerk the steering wheel when somebody pulled into your lane. I mean, you start thinking about how many times you've ducked your head, regained your balance, got a handout so that you didn't, you didn't crush your elbow. When you start thinking about how many injuries or car wrecks your reflexes have prevented, how many times have you had to hit the brake really quickly, jerk the steering wheel really quickly? You can't even count them. So why the safety profession sort of overlooked, I don't want to say discounted because I don't even think they took it into account, the the power of the reflex. I mean, you know, that we're not even going to talk about whether somebody got a reflex or not, and yet we all know that a reflex can be the difference between a minor injury and a major injury or between a close call and a fatality. I mean, did you get a chance to jerk the steering wheel? And maybe it was just another close call, or maybe it was just two rear view mirrors shattered like that. 
But when you don't get a chance to jerk the steering wheel, now it's a head-on collision. Or now, instead of it just being a glancing blow and you stand up and you hit the open kitchen cupboard, now it's stitches because you didn't get a chance to just kind of duck your head at the last second. Mm -hmm. Or like I said before, you don't get a chance to get an arm out when you fall. So instead of it being another embarrassing fall, now it's a shattered elbow or it's a broken hip. Well, Larry, thank you so much for sharing a bit more perspective on Chapter 3, The Third Dimension of Risk Assessment. Um, next month, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Chapter 4, which is skill versus luck and reflexes and SIFs. Well, I've already sort of talked a bit about a bit about it already, but there's certainly um, a, a little more depth that we're going to get into next time in, in the next podcast here. But just to give you a bit of an idea... Can you think of a time you've been hurt? I'm not including contact sports where the other guy might have intentionally been trying to hurt you. Can you think of a time you have been hurt in the self area when you are actually thinking about what you are doing and the risk of what you are doing at the exact instant when you got hurt? And that might give you just a bit of an idea in terms of how important is mind on task. And next time we'll be talking about how important are eyes on task and the combination of the two. And more importantly, what do you do about it so that you can get the benefit of your reflexes and you don't experience a very uncommon outcome to a very common occurrence, which quite often gets called the fluke accident. Well, Larry, thanks so much. Once again, the book, Defenseless Moments, it's available on Amazon. Check it out. We'll be back next month talking about Chapter 4, uh, Skill versus Luck, Reflexes, and SIFs. Thank you so much, Larry. You're welcome. Talk to you next month. Thanks again for listening to the Defenseless Moments podcast. That sums up episode number four, the third dimension of risk assessment. Now, if you like what you heard, make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified as new episodes come out. And if you really enjoyed it, feel free to give us a five-star review below. We really appreciate your support. And as always, stay safe, folks.